You're listening to Amphibicast. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. Uh, tonight, I've got another returning guest who uh, is uh, really a super guy. He's been on the show in the past, and I really appreciate his contributions. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Julio Rodriguez, and we're going to talk about what he's been up to lately, as well as uh, what's been going on with American Frog Day coming up uh, here in New York. We're going to be, uh, we're actually just a couple of weeks away from it, so uh, he's going to give us a quick run through of what we're going to do and you know, just what else he's been up to and his thoughts on a couple of things. So uh, in the meantime, I want to thank everyone for the nice five-star reviews on Apple Podcast. That's a great way to help me get the show out there to a wider audience, which is something that I've always been looking to do. And uh, if you're interested, just check out the Patreon page. It's a great way to support the show. If that's something that you're interested with the $5 tier, you get a shout out at the beginning of an upcoming episode. So if that's something you're interested in, you know, by all means, go check that out. And uh, other than that, housekeeping aside, uh, why don't we get into it? So, Julio, what's what's up? What's going on? Hey, how's it going? Uh, not much. I'm just hanging out in the frog room, you know, checking up on things. Now the baby's asleep, so this is my time where I usually come down and just check up on everything, make sure everything's eating and doing well. Although I haven't cleaned the glass <laughs> in quite a while, but that's because of lack of time. Yeah, I put a picture up before on my Instagram of uh, I started adding some uh, the mineral enhanced clay to one of my tanks, and and the frog just like trashed the place, and now the glass looks awful. <laughs> but I know it's I, you got a lot of calling going on in the background too. I can hear. Yeah, usually right before the lights go out, everybody starts calling, all the males start going off, and you know you hear one from another tank, so it'll start a chain reaction. Yeah, I've noticed that with some of my phylobates, I'll get like one will start calling and then one in another species in another tank like follows suit and they kind of go back and forth. Yeah. So uh, what have you been up to since we spoke last? It's been a, it's been about a year since uh, I had you on the show last. Anything new uh, and exciting going on? Uh, I've uh, just been busy since I had a baby last year. Um, you know, so that's kept me quite busy. <laughs> and uh. So having a kid is, you know, takes a lot of adjustment for sure. So, and it it takes a while, you know, to get used to new routines and, you know, um, what to do with the frogs and what not to do with the frogs at certain times, just because you have less time. Um, so it, it was a lot of a, it's been an adjustment period for sure. And now that he's learned to open the frog doors, the frog tank doors, it's, you know, there's going to be, need to be a lock on the frog room pretty soon. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I have, I mean, I, I have two kids myself, minor, minor older, but, um, I remember that point early on when they were babies and thinking to myself, like, well, what do I do? I've got a lot of really strange animals here in the house. How do I, how do I, how do I segue them into that? And then, you know, finally, like, now that they're older, they don't. I had to explain to them like we live a little bit differently than most people. Most people don't have like <laughs> twenty aquariums in the basement, so yeah, you'll you'll get you'll get that conversation at some point in your future. But yeah, so we also have you know two different species of tortoises. So every morning, the first thing he does is like he wakes up, runs to the basement door to the stairwell, and just like points because he wants to go down and see the tortoises. You know, so it's like. <laughs> It's become a morning routine. 
That's cool. It's it's nice seeing them getting like enthusiastic about stuff. It's 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 fun, you know, watching them take an interest in that. Yeah, for sure. So, which species are you working with nowadays? And um, we'll we'll get into. I know you've had some new imports that you kind of hinted at on Instagram from Tesoros, but what are you working with nowadays in your collection? Uh, mostly histrionica, um, a couple of sylvaticas, and uh, a couple of running tomato species. Uh, and the only tank that I keep are just a, the Watley line of Zurius. Um, you know, other than that, uh, pretty much got rid of all the tanks just simply because I don't have time to pull any eggs, although I wasn't pulling any eggs the past year, really. Uh, but just to make more room for histrionica and sylvaticas as well and uh, uh the only two ready tomato species i keep are just a uh, southern variabilis and actually three southern variabilis uh scruchimaju benedictus and the pampa and morsa benedictus so other than that that's it <laughs> so i mean did you kind of like tone i mean how many tanks did you have before you kind of consolidated your collection um, I have about, I would say about four or five different species of tanks, uh, citronellas, I had arawapas, um, alanis, you know, just to name a few, but that was it. And always had the wild lead line of Zerius. So, um, yeah, I mean, just cut it down really just, you know, not really because I cut it down, but just needed more room for histrionica and sylvaticus. Yeah, how are you keeping your obligates set up? Because I know, I mean, I've talked to a couple of different people, and I'm always curious how each person uh, keeps, you know, is is keeping them. Yeah, I mean, before um, I had this particular program, the program I had before, um, all I had was nothing but 24-inch tubes plus, you know, and then I had some other bigger tanks also as well. Um, So once I... Notice everything that the you know with the captive bird frogs you don't have much of you know they don't seem to move much they're now bouncing around all over the place so I kind of downsized the enclosures to 18 inch cubes uh, so they're all 18 inch cubes uh, you know they're Sherman tanks so they're all custom made tanks uh, 18 inch cubes and you know with double misting heads and so that seems to work for me really well. If someone wanted to get into the large obligates who hadn't before, is there any real differences between the setup that you might have for, uh, I'm trying to think of something comparable, but I really can't. Like, I mean, let's just say that you went from keeping Tinctorius and you wanted to graduate into like the large obligates like Histrionica. Could you keep the, the vivarium set up the same or are there any like modifications you'd want to make? Uh, definitely not. I mean, you definitely want to have bromelias in the large obligates. Um, you know, but I would try my hand at keeping familias before trying large obligates first. Uh, you know, large obligates just seem to be a lot more sensitive in terms of environmental factors. If it's, you know, if it's too wet, um, if there's not enough ventilation, that affects their health as well. Um, you know, so there's different, you know, every species and every morph is going to be completely different from the next. So some of them have to have the ventilation closed. Others have to have the ventilation completely open. So, you know, it's it's interesting as far as that goes. Like, so you got to kind of figure out, and every every house, every environment is going to be completely different as well. So, 
in my old frog room since I lived in an apartment. You know, the apartment, it was a lot warmer. So, you know, certain frogs would only breed like, I would say, certain times of the year, things like that. Um, now, here, since we bought the house uh, a couple of years ago, you know, everything's in the basement. It's a little bit cooler. So, it's a constant like 70 degrees down here uh, throughout the summer. And then, uh, you know, throughout the winter, it's a little bit cooler. Um, so, the ventilation gets a little more sealed just simply because it, it gets a little more heat in the in the enclosures but it they seem to like it cooler on the cooler side um there are a couple of species that do like it on the warmer side so those guys those guys would breed you know when it's warmer as opposed to when it's colder out throughout the winter so it's interesting that you mentioned the transition from an apartment into a house really like when you think about the whole basement thing, because obviously, I mean, like my house, I got a basement. So of course that's where I stick everything. Have you noticed any differences as opposed to say, all right, let me, let me, let me give you an example here. I know people who have frog rooms that are up on a main floor that have access to like, you know, natural light, light comes in from the windows, et cetera. Whereas like my basement, it's pretty much temperature controlled, like down to a T. Like I can pinpoint what each tank is going to have temperature wise almost any day of the year. I mean, did you notice any differences like when you moved the frogs downstairs with the different, like the different temperature parameters being more consistent or like, like how did that work, work out for you? Did you kind of have to shuffle everything around or like, how'd you make sense out of it? Yeah. I mean, there are, I did I mean, I do have windows in the front room down in the basement. So there are, there's one window on each side of the room. So it does a lot for cross ventilation down here whenever the temperature's ideal. Uh, but there's also a ventilation system um, just specifically for the frog room itself. So it has, a, you know, an HVAC system. So it, it keeps it certain times when we do have extreme temperatures, you know, uh, throughout the summer and throughout the winter, it maintains it at 75 degrees ambient temperature throughout the year. Um, but on the days like today where, you know, pretty much now temperatures are cooling down, you know, I don't have to worry about turning on the ventilation system. The frog tanks usually maintain around, eh, stay around, I'd say between 75 and 78 degrees. Um, but those that are closer to the windows are a little bit on the cooler side versus those that are in the middle of the room. So, you know, some of the environmental factors you got to kind of play with, um, you know, for everybody that has a frog room and things like that. That's not, you know, if you have windows, especially in there. So uh, the main thing that I had to redo was kind of tweak my, uh, you know, my fly cultures was, you know, obviously things would not produce as fast as they did in the apartment when it was being kept warmer. So, yeah. So flies cultures take a little bit longer to produce, um, to start, you know, popping and stuff like that. So. Yeah, you know, that was one of the adjustments as far as that goes, and yeah, and obviously the with the house, I was able to just everything's directly plugged into the into a hard line. So, um, so the missing system is plugged directly into you know a pipe that shoots water from reverse osmosis system into reverse water. And the reservoir just shoots it right into the missing pump whenever it comes on. 
So there's no more having to carry water into an actual reservoir anymore. So, and then everything gets drained through another pump directly out into another hard line that comes on every couple of days. I love carrying milk jugs full of our water across my basement. <laughs> I thought about going a little bit more sophisticated, but um, I don't know. It gives me something to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the system, and it was literally just sitting in my garage. And then when the pandemic hit, it was just like, okay, well, now it gives me something to do. And it literally just took me a couple of hours, and that was it. Yeah, I have mine set up over eight. We got a... Uh, we're like a steel laundry, you know, like the kind of sink that you have in like a commercial kitchen. We got one of those in the basement for the laundry line. And I just, I just, I just put a hose adapter right onto the faucet. So when I want it, I just, I just turn the faucet. I mean, I mean, realistically, I, I could, I could pipe it and be a little bit more creative with it, but I don't know, just for spatial considerations. You know, while we're, while we're talking about RO water, I've, I hear people have different opinions and, and different ideas of you know, what they prefer and what they don't. I hear a lot of people using RO water for, for tadpole care. And I know that you don't really work with tanks too much anymore. And I'm assuming the obligates just kind of get the RO water from the misting system. But I mean, do you have a preference or did you have a preference for RO water or any other type when you were rearing tanks? Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, New York has really good water. So you don't have, you know, if you do a water test, which is why the bagels taste so great, you know, but, <laughs> um, New York has really great tap water. Um, you know, my main concern is we was really not having to, you know, carry water and stuff like that. You know, obviously when I use just regular tap water in the past, it was just, um, just let it sit there for a day or two and then, you know, use it with tap poles and, and, uh, you know, with the missing system, but, you know, that became a pain, but I've never had any issues. I know there were some, article that came out last year or earlier this year about how um ro water you know gives contributes to sls um you know in all the years i've been using ro water never had an issue as far as sls you know it's mostly about supplementation in my opinion so it's how you supplement the parents it's really key in terms of uh you know what nutrients you give them you know, what vitamins you use them. So what do we have coming? Well, I shouldn't say we, but like you work with Tesoros. You've had a lot of like interesting stuff come in lately. Is there anything that's come in recently from Tesoros that you want to talk about or anything that might be coming in in the future that we can look forward to? Um, I mean, they recently we came in, we were some Picasso's, um, which are, you know, they were released uh, earlier this year. Um, so some Picasso was were the recent morph that got released, so those came in. Um, some Fuegos came in. Uh, let's see some brown bullseyes, some blues, some Lamanis, some orange Lamanis, um, which is another morph that got that got released earlier this year as well, or last year rather. So, let's see. I mean, as far as what they're working with down there. Um, I mean, I know they're having a little bit of obstacles working, uh, trying to get permits and stuff like that. I mean, they got the permits. They're just having a little bit of problems getting stuff into their facilities right now. So, um, but hopefully that'll be resolved soon. 
Um, it's it's mostly like uh, trying to put this down. Look, <laughs> uh, such as like organizations such as Pro Avis who have uh, Whitefoots and Koi on their property and refuse to kind of like help to sorrows out and establishing a captive breeding uh you know group uh but instead they much rather you know have the frogs there and have them get smuggled out rather than uh you know establishing a captive bread program that's got to be tough to deal with and you know I, I ran across a few articles recently that had a had a really positive coverage of tesoros and the fact that dart frogs are being responsibly sourced and, and, you know, captive bred in a way that they could be legally imported. You want to tell us about some of the challenges associated with, uh, with responsible sourcing? Yeah. I mean, the main issue is always going to be like, yeah, the wild caught stuff is always going to be cheaper, and, you know, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting stuff that's captive bred is, you know, you have, you know, the reason why it becomes a little more expensive is because you're running a facility, so you have overhead. You know, which you have to take care. You have bills that you have to pay, um, but you're also getting captive bred animals, which you know the age, the exact age of the animals, rather than getting a wild caught frog that's you know, could be 20 years old and on its way out. And then you think you know you did everything right, and then all of a sudden the frog dies on you. But it wasn't because of anything you did. It just happened to be an old frog. So you know. But you know, with that said, frogs are also sensitive no matter what whether they're captive bred or wild caught you know so that's a reason why they're indicator species so if there's any kind of you know environmental factor they're one of the first species to go yeah i always explain to people that it's it's tricky dealing with frogs and i guess people who come in from you know another type of exotics hobby like um I hate to keep picking on ball python people because I, mean, I kept them a while ago, but they're, they're just, they're so more, they're so much more tolerant of husbandry mistakes and things like that. So yeah, like, sure. it's like sometimes like you get a frog and you can just like, you kind of tell like, oh boy, I look at this thing funny and it's going to, you know, it's going to seize and it's just going to die right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, like, me personally, I can't keep anything questionable as far as, you know, frogs, anything of questionable origin. Um, so, because I deal with U.S. Fish and Wildlife all the time. So, um, you know, dealing with authorities and stuff like that. So, and some of the, you know, keeping some of the tortoises, you know, with certain permits and all that. So. How is it developed? I mean, this is, I mean, you don't necessarily have to answer this, but like, how is it? developing a good relationship with with fish and wildlife in a situation like this because i feel like a lot of us kind of have this idea that fish and wildlife could potentially be difficult to deal with and whatnot i mean is it how do you cultivate a relationship with them in a situation where you're you're importing well it, ha it all has to do at first it was it was a little bit difficult um not simply because they were being difficult but because you know, it all has to do whether or not there's anybody on their staff that's knowledgeable of the animals you're bringing in. Um, the first import, um, since I had to, you know, I notified the U.S. Fish and Wildlife coming in, you know, way in advance. So the day before the import came in, 
you know, I get a call from U.S. Fish and Wildlife. The agent is like, you're bringing in poisonous animals. I was like, they're not poisonous. There's a difference between poisonous and venomous. You know, there's a huge difference. So, and <laughs> the lady was just like, well, you're not bringing them in. Yeah, yeah, you can't bring these in. It was giving me a hard time. You know, so she like hung up the phone on me. So then I called U.S. Fish and Wildlife about four times before I actually got somebody on the phone that was knowledgeable about the, you know, the frogs and knew that, you know, it wasn't anything that was going to cost a risk or anything like that. Maybe they weren't harmful. So, and then on top of that, dealing with customs was a whole other issue, you know. So it got to the point where we're customs, you know, for about <laughs> three or four hours filling out paperwork, waiting on paperwork. And the lady literally grabs the paperwork and she looks at her watch and she goes, oh, it's lunchtime. And she just drops the paperwork and <laughs> leaves. And I was like, wait, 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 where, where are you going? I was like, you know, like, who's going to help me? Like, she just like, literally, she's like, oh, it's time for me to go to lunch. I was like, you're kidding. I was like, some job, you know? So, and then we wind up spending like another two hours before the frogs got released. You know, so it was it was a real nightmare. The question is, what's happening to the frogs during all this? Because I mean, obviously, it's 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 a bit of a trip to get these things in. But do, I mean, do they have any idea that like the longer these things sit in a box, the you know the more difficult it's going to be for them once you open that box? Yeah, I mean that that's the main reason why we try and you know only import these frogs a certain time of the year when the temperatures are ideal. Um, you know, because if we do it in the middle of the summer or in the middle of the winter, they're literally just sitting in a warehouse, which is not heated and not air conditioned. So, you know, that plays a big role into it, you know, so, and by the time, you know, sometimes you set up an inspection, you were fishing well, if you get there first thing in the morning or based on, on the last import, I was literally waiting for them for two hours to get there. So. You know, so it, it just depends on, you know, when, when they show up. Most of the time they're there first thing in the morning, but, you know, the last one adds a week them to, you know, a couple of hours. So After a while, do you kind of get to know the same people and it becomes, because, I mean, obviously you've been doing this for a while enough. I mean, I'm going to assume after a while you're able to develop a relationship with certain people. Has it gotten easier as time's gone by or has it kind of just stayed the same long, hard process? No, it's, it's definitely gotten easier now. Um, the, you know, there's people that I can contact and use fish and wildlife, you know, the local office, if I have any issues or any questions. Um, so they know me personally and, you know, I know them personally. So, um, I mean, we don't, we don't hang out at a barbecue or anything like that, but, you know, like I have some of their cell phone numbers that they've given me, uh, just in case, you know, ever have any issues, they can call them directly. I mean, while we're on the subject of, of imports, I, I had a question for you. This is I was something I've been thinking about for a while. One thing I've noticed is with frogs that have been in the hobby for a long time, and I don't necessarily mean like long-term wild-caught animals. I really mean just bloodlines that have been here in the hobby, at least in the U.S., for a long time. 
behavior-wise, I mean, you mentioned before you certain frogs are a lot more like jumpy and a little bit more high-strung than others. What's the difference between dealing with new imports of one species as opposed to like, you know, an older bloodline of the, of the same species locale? I mean, are there any other like caveats to it or, or is it the same thing? Uh, I mean, they're pretty much the same thing. It just depends on whether or not they're, you know, um, I'd say the same, the same morph, you know, um, if they're the same morph, I mean, you can treat them the same. Um, one thing I do recommend, you know, is, is definitely having some sort of quarantine period. Um, you know, so if you have an empty tank or if you haven't tanked ahead of time where that animal is going to go into and you're not going to move it from that tank to another, um, that's usually the best case. So the less stress you have for that animal that just got, that just got shipped, you know, the better. So, um, you know, a lot of the older established animals, you know, you don't, obviously at this point, you're not going to have that, you know, but, you know, with the babies, especially with the babies that, Let's say I breed now. They're, you know, they're used to this environment, so they're not going to have the same stress as the parents that came in. They got shipped in, you know. Now we're in a different environment down in Colombia, and now we're in a different environment here. So, is it different trying to get them to re- reproduce and breed? Do you have more challenges with, like, say, you get a new import? And I, I don't mean like an import like wild caught. I mean like like from Tesoros or something, you know, a situation like that. Is it harder to get them to breed than like more established frogs? Is it a little bit more challenging? Uh, sometimes it's, it is, sometimes it's not. You know, some, it just, it, it all depends on the more. Um, you know, some, some of them uh, will breed fairly easy. As soon as we put them in the tank, we'll get eggs within the next couple, you know, couple of days of them coming in. Um, most, I guess, is it, it also has to do whether or not they're being housed together down at the Soros. More than likely, they're they're not. More often than not, um, they tend to keep them individually down there. Um, those are they're exporting and the babies that are growing up. Um, you know, once they get to a certain age, they keep them individually. So it's one of the good things about that. Um, I've been able to get down to them in a, in a while now. I was hoping to go down there before Frog Day, but you know, COVID situation down there is still a little bit crazy. Yeah, how has that made uh, operations? Because it's, I mean, obviously it's affected everything. It almost seems like beating a dead horse to keep bringing it up, but what kind of impact has that had on bringing stuff in from Tesoros? Uh, I mean, they had a, uh, you know, only certain people could go to, to the facility to go, you know, take care of the animals and, and only on certain days. Uh, so they had a bit of a challenge at first when things got shut down. Um, we waited for CITES for about six months, uh, you know, in order to be able to get this last shipment in just simply because things got delayed with COVID. Uh, so, you know, everything this year is taking a lot longer than normally would you know so and uh hopefully they're i think they just got cities for the next shipment as well um you know so the shipment that came in now just a couple of weeks ago was supposed to be here in the spring 
that's how long it took. <laughs> yeah, that's a big that's a big delay. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening yeah. to this show after the fact, it's like the end of September, beginning of October here now. So that's 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 a long time. <laughs> it was supposed to have been here in the spring. Yeah. So, it, but it's been like that with everything, you know, and that just you know to serve stuff. It seems to be everything is delayed on all sorts of or fronts, you know, when it comes to anything, getting any kind of supply or. You know, whatever it may be. I experienced it with work, you know, trying to get chlorine. So, and that just became an issue at some point trying to get chlorine. So, but it seems to be happening in all chains in every industry, pretty much. Yeah, it's amazing the shortages of certain things. Like, I had ordered, well, I mean, I think it's a combination of a couple of things, really. I mean, obviously the supply shortage, but also the fact that the demand has increased because we had a whole year of people sitting home with nothing to do. Like, I, I'd ordered a, I'd order a new, a new enclosure for one of my snakes, and I, I waited a lot. I mean, I knew that this company had long lead times, but I waited like six months. I ordered this back in the beginning of April, and I finally got it like three weeks ago. And then, from what I understand, that a lot of people are starting to venture into just i mean all different hobbies in general i mean i mean god i started a podcast but a lot of people are getting into animals now did you notice did that have any like factor into this equation at all like were there more people interested in acquiring dart frogs or were you kind of catering to the same base that you usually do oh there was definitely a lot of growth um in the hobby uh especially during the pandemic it seemed like people were home and doing more research and you know it's the same reason why chickens got sold out as well <laughs> so you know everybody seems to be getting chickens uh you know this past spring and, and last year so everybody you couldn't get and find a chicken coop anywhere <laughs> in the united states that was available that's so weird of all of all the things chickens <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah in the past we we talked about your relationship with with zookeepers in the New York area. I know you had um, you had kind of interesting relationship with a few people, and they influenced you. Are you still working with any of these people? And and I mean, if so, are you guys up to anything uh, anything interesting going on now? Uh, I mean, I don't work with them directly. I mean, we do talk from time to time. We run into each other. Like we'll have a meeting whenever. Well, we haven't had a meeting, I guess, <laughs> almost two years now. Uh, so with COVID and everything. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we still talk, I still talk to them on Facebook, you know, we have questions and stuff like that. So their relationship is still there. Um, you know, and we help each other out with, uh, anything we can. So, yeah, but the, their relationship has never wavered, you know, um, you know, if there's any, any, any questions as far as like, you know, or if they, ever have uh needing some dark frogs and stuff like that for an exhibit you know more than willing to give them some as well how is that um how do i put this i mean you really for anybody who hasn't caught the first the first episode where i had julian a while a julio on a while back you really immersed yourself in this whole like frog rabbit hole so to speak i mean you you really made it really made it your business to uh get to know all the angles of it is is a foundation with experienced people who are, are you know keep animals professionally like at a zoo level 
I mean, for someone who doesn't have access to resources like that, I mean, what are some recommendations you'd make for someone who really wants to become immersed in this and, and have access to, I, I mean, obviously you can't, everyone can't necessarily get to a zoo and speak to someone, but if you wanted to kind of model that immersion, like what advice would you have to someone who would be interested in doing something like that? Well, the private sector is, is 10 years ahead of zoos, to be honest with you. So, yeah, zoos are great, but zoos have so much red tape, you know, there's stuff that they're limited to, things that they can do or cannot do. Um, so that's why the private sector is way more beyond, you know, the zoos. So, you know, if, if you can get to a zoo, obviously, I mean, I have that relationship, but it's, that relationship was just built on you know, based on me working, started with me working at the Bronx Zoo, um, you know, when I was in high school as an internship. And, you know, it just it grew from there, you know, so I still maintain those relationships and things like that. So there were stuff that I, you know, when I got to the Bronx Zoo in the reptile house, there were animals there that they never bred before until I got there, you know. So, you know, by colors, they never bred until I got there. You know, a lot of the darfrogs were never bred until I got there simply because, you know, they had the resources, but I, I, I was able to take time and experiment, you know, with rain chambers and misting cycles and things like that. So, um, you know, so that, that became really great. But if you're not, if you don't have the access to speak to anybody that works at a zoo, by all means, there's a ton of guys that have been in this hobby for you know, just longer than me, you know, Tor Limbo, Todd Kelly, Aaron from Aaron's Frog Farms, um, which I haven't seen him around in a while. You know, those were, there were only like a handful of people that were in this hobby when I first started, you know, Patrick Neighbors, you know, so, you know, the first frog day was out in California and it was just like, you know, five people bending there. That was it. You know, now we're in the 26th annual Frog Day, you know, and it skipped a few years, but there's the 26th one that's happening right now in a couple of weeks. And it all started with Chuck Powell, you know, it's a small little project that really took off now. And, you know, it's gotten to the point where, you know, every year we raise money for different conservation costs. So this year we're raising money for EVAC. Um, those are you that are not familiar with evac uh you know they do a lot of the the antelopes the golden antelopes conservation and breeding down in panama so you can go to americanfrogday.com and check out all the links on that and you know help us out make a donation if you like what's interesting about frog day and the la the last one i went to was a while back i think it might have been uh, maybe like 2014, I'm thinking it, it, it. I think it was in Staten Island. I think, um, I think Ferns Frogs, I think Lynn hosted it or sponsored it. It was, I'm trying to remember when it was, it was a yeah, while back. Probably, yeah, she was one of the sponsors, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's just for anybody out there who's not experienced something like this, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually pretty incredible. I mean, there's a lot of vendors and it's all, I mean, it's primarily dart frog. I remember when I went, I think I saw a, like a sexed pair of bullseyes and I was like, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. And it was, just, you know, nothing like too crazy, but, um, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty amazing experience. And then you guys have a, 
uh, guest speakers at a dinner later on in the evening after the event. Do you want to tell us about who the speakers yeah. are and, and what people can expect? Yeah, so um, one of the speakers is uh, Dr. Brad Wilson, who happens to be a veterinarian um, down in Atlanta. And uh, he uh, he has a lot of amphibian experience. Uh, actually, I think one of his main focus when it comes to animals privately is just uh, amphibians. You know, he also does a lot of work with uh, you know, the uh, Atlanta Botanical Gardens, you know, as far as plants and you know, he still volunteers there. I know that. And uh, he was very involved with the amphibian pod when he was there as well. You know, so he volunteered his his knowledge about diseases and things like that, you know, with with uh, EBG. So he, he did a lot of that. And he also, he's an avid photographer, so he does a lot of, he has a great photography portfolio. <laughs> You know, I got to spend time with him personally down in Madagascar. Um, you know, and just hanging out with him and talking to him. You know, my photography got a lot better for sure. Um, another speaker is going to be um, Ivan from Tesoros at Columbia. So he's going to, you know, let us know all the challenges and stuff that he, he faces all the time. And some of the new stuff they might be working with down there. Uh, they're hoping will probably get released hopefully by next year. And our other speaker, who's our keynote speaker, will be Ergardo Griffin, who's the head of the El Valle, you know, um, Panama Amphibian Conservation Center down in Panama, who are the leaders in uh, the Golden Atalopis Conservation Group. Uh, I know they work with a lot they work a lot with the Smithsonian uh, down in Washington. So, um, but over the past year, you know, they've been facing some issues with donations and stuff like that. So, they've had some struggles. Um, they also do a lot of environmental cleanup. You can follow them on their Instagram page or their Facebook page, and you'll see all the environmental cleanups that they do. Pretty much, I don't know if it's on a monthly basis or a weekly basis, but it's quite a lot. <laughs> so. They get a lot of volunteers, you know, they're able to draw in like the younger generation and get enthusiastic about taking care of the environment. So something that you know, I wish happened pretty much everywhere, you know, so they're able to do that. And they have a, a golden frog event that, seemed, that they have every year as well with a parade and everything. So great stuff that they do. They have a parade? That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. And they have a mascot, too. Somebody dresses up in a Natalopus mascot. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I, I never would have imagined something like that would happen, but that's pretty amazing. Yeah. We'd already kind of talked about ob- obligates a little bit before, but, um, I mean, I've noticed that in the, I guess the progression of, of many keepers is uh, they'll start out with, Tinctorius or Phyllobates or whatever, and then they almost like look to graduate to things like obligates. As obligates become more common, well, I shouldn't say as they become, but do you think that they're going to become more common in the hobby and they, they might even replace other species as the hobby staple? Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing, the main thing is that people want, you know, what's new. 
you know so what happens is a lot of the older moors that you know they used to be establishing in the hobby that got really popular and then became you know 300 frogs are now going back up in value um simply because now there's less people keeping them um so there's going to be you know the hobby goes through those swings where you know like mint is goes through these swings specifically where you know everybody will be looking for them certain years you know meanwhile other years you'll have you know 50 people selling them at 20 dollars and they can't get rid of them you know and then you know two years later they'll go back up to a hundred dollars because nobody has them so i mean yeah everybody wants a new morphs and a lot of the histories are becoming more widely available now that more people are working with them um you know but they're also not a beginner frog but they are becoming a lot easier to acquire for sure yeah like i said i i had really my my first experience with them was at you know, at that frog day that I went to, cause I'd seen, I saw species that I don't even know, I don't even know existed in the hobby, like just like histrionica and whatnot. And I just started looking yeah. at, I mean, obviously they, they commanded kind of a high price at the time. I mean, I remember seeing like sex pairs going for like five grand, which is, you know, it is what it is. I often wonder though, like with, with large obligates and obviously there's a lot of work that goes into getting them to reproduce and, and cultivate them and whatnot. Do you think that the high price point on like species like large obligates? Do you think that it kind of like maintains the integrity of the ho- maintains the integrity of the hobby? I mean, like by that I mean like people aren't casually going in and buying large obligates the way that they would with like Aratus or 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 like Azurius or something like that. Well, yes and no. I mean, there are people that that still dive in. Um... I mean, I'd say within the last five years, there were a couple of people that dove in that never kept the frog in their life and dove right into the histrionica group. But those people don't keep histrionica anymore. So, <laughs> they're, like I said, it's it's not a frog you want to start out with. The main thing is that people, you know, those, especially those getting into the hobby, you don't want, don't look at the frogs as dollar signs. Don't think that you know, this is an investment and they're going to breed easily and I'm going to have, you know, 10 babies in a week. It, it doesn't go that way. You know, keep what you like, keep what you enjoy, and then that's it. If they breed, they breed. Consider that a bonus. But don't get the frogs just specifically for you to breed them and try and make money off of them. That's the wrong reason to get into this hobby. Yeah, that's kind of what I was kind of what I was hinting at in my my, my subtle way. I just I don't know. It, it it seems like there's a lot of people that hop on the dart frog bandwagon, but they can't do it with with obligates at all because they just don't reproduce the way that like like tanks do. And it's just I don't know. I just I'm always curious, like who's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like if you if you can get into a hobby and make a quick buck and leave, well. And with obligates, it, to me, it seems like you can't really, you can't do that at all. No, I mean, it, it, I mean, I've been, you know, by the time let's say I get a pair from Tesoros in this year, you know, if I recover the money of, that's worth of the pair by, you know, let's say middle of next year, then I'll be lucky to do that. You know, so yeah, they definitely don't breed. 
you know, if you get 10 babies out of a pair a year, consider that astronomically great, you know. Yeah, I can definitely see that being a motivation to be to be patient is having just such a small amount of uh of return. Like like you said before about an investment, it's a very very small return if that's what you're going for. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, it's a very niche market where you know, not everybody's going to when you're trying to sell that out the babies and stuff like that, it's obviously not everybody's going to be able to afford those high prices, so you know. So you got it, and you're also competing with other people that are breeding them, um, that are selling them at the same price. So don't expect for your frogs to just like, you know, oh, I got them for sale. That's it. They're sold. They're gone. I made my money. Yeah. It's yeah. not that easy. So, yeah, it's challenging. I, I mean, we're, we're kind of wrapping up here, but I, I wanted to ask you a question that kind of just came into my head. Now, you've been doing this a really long time, and I'm curious, why still do it after after all these years? Like, what does the hobby mean to you on a, on a personal level? Well, the main reason why I got into this was really, I mean, I I used to keep day geckos and chameleons and darfurs are the main three things that I always kept, um, and it was all based on the coloration. Um, you know, I even when I was in college during my college years. Like when I wasn't able to keep a bunch of frog tanks, I always kept um, a tank. And this is a ten-gallon tank with some apparatus in there, you know. And then after that, once I got through to college and done with college, you know, it was time to re- regroup and build up the collection from there. But um, I don't know. I mean, I've always had a, a love for animals since I was a kid. Um, you know, I always kept a little bit of everything, so. I mean, I've kept monitors, I've kept chameleons, like I said, big echoes. Um, I mean, you you name it, I've probably kept it. It had quite a few different snake piece, species, geckos and stuff like that. So, um, <laughs> But then I just decided to, you know, let me focus on one thing. So I kind of cut it down to just chameleons and dart frogs. And then after that, I just cut it just down to dart frogs, you know. So. I guess the frogs are just easier to maintain once you have them in an animated system. The only thing you have to do is deal with, you know, the fruit flies and stuff. So, yeah, I can totally understand the the transition from chameleons into dart frogs. What did you think was harder? Do you think that chameleons were more challenging, or or dart frogs were more challenging? Uh, chameleons are definitely just as sensitive. <laughs> you know, the shark chameleons. You look at them the wrong way, they just like drop dead on you. Um, yeah, chameleons are, have a lot of environmental factors that you got to deal with. I mean, uh, it's just heat, airflow, you know, and so it's, it's just weird with them. Um, but some of them are just really, really sensitive. So I, I talked to Bill Strand from the Chameleon Academy on, we, we talk a lot actually. And I, I mean, I've said to him, I'm like, you guys are nuts for keeping these things like He's like, I thought the dark frogs were. I'm like, dark frogs are easy. Chameleons are difficult. So yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them can be a pain to deal with, you know. But uh, and then there's others that are really easy to keep. So it's just the same thing with the frogs. I guess every hobby has that. You know, some animals are just easier to keep than others. So 
Yeah, I like a challenge. <laughs> I think we all do. Be into <laughs> I can't imagine anybody who keeps dog frogs not being up for a challenge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, do you want to give us, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, obviously, Tesoros doesn't really, it's not like you could go online and like buy from Tesoros, but if anybody wanted to find out some more information about Tesoros and Frog Day, can you give us some some websites or some info that the listeners could check out? Yeah, I mean, they have a Facebook page. You can go to Tesoros of Columbia on their Facebook page, and, uh, you know, you can send them a message there if you're interested in, in buying any of their frogs, or you can ask them for a price list. Uh, they'll send you the price list, and everybody that's buying frogs from Tesoros just directly wires money to Tesoros, so you pay them directly, and then I just do the import. They come into New York. Um, Josh Wayne usually drives up picks up the frogs whatever are not being picked up here he quarantines them for you know two to three weeks and then he ships them out to um those rifle people that are you know not able to pick them up locally so you know that's pretty much how we do things now um before when we first started because it was only a small group of people buying pretty much all the frogs that were coming in um you know so the first couple of imports it was just all the local people just buying everything so you know nothing got shipped um so it was always us just getting all the stuff in um so as soon as it came in it just went right through you know people's tanks you know locally and you know, josh would order stuff but he would drive up pick up his stuff and drive back so cool uh anything else i mean is there anything else we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on before we uh before we split uh not sure when was the last time you went fishing (laughs) (laughs) all right uh i've actually been going out fairly regularly it's it's funny that you mentioned that because that was just i mean just all you guys know me well enough now and julio and i both are into fishing so we've been trying to get a point where we get together maybe but um yeah, right now we're up in this like kind of dead zone here like the end of september beginning of october we're like a lot of the larger game fish, like 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 striped bass, is what we target here. I haven't quite showed up yet, so I, I've been getting a lot of oddball stuff, like just like puffer fish, which are kind of annoying and like weird. Like they've been bringing up like lizard fish and like like all sorts of weird stuff shows up around this time of year. But what about you? You've been out yet or no? I was out two weeks ago. I was out on uh, Laura Lee and uh, just caught a bunch of weak fish and some blues. Um, you know, it wasn't crazy fishing, but it's starting to pick up now. Yeah. Was that the day so where there was like a, like a hundred? I looked at that report and there was like the Laura Lee is a charter boat out here, by the way. And I looked at the report and they caught like a hundred weak fish in one day. Were you on? Were you on that that trip? No, I, I don't believe those reports anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, sometimes they'll be like, "Oh yeah, we caught four hundred this this morning." I was like, "Yeah, okay." And then you get to the boat and you rest. You know the people that are there, and they're like, "No, we." we I was like, "How was fishing?" They were like, "It was kind of slow." I was like, "All right." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't believe anything. All this stuff that they post ever. It's always like, you know, I'll just go have a good time. You know, go with a friend or two, have a beer. You know, and get away. And that's about it. But being having a baby now, it's just like it becomes a little more challenging for me to get out of and fish so sometimes i have to do night trips you know and then just pay the price the next day when 
I wake up early, <laughs> you know, not having getting much sleep, but it's worth it. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I, w- I went out on the, well, I, 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 I surf cast. There's a local, there's a state park that I have, I have a, a permit to go in at night. And I was like, ah, oh, let me, let me see if I can get a night bite. And I got bit bad by the by the bugs like it's like yeah. jones beach yeah. at night the, the bugs are just like they're, they're murderers like my, my my ankles and i had pants and shoes and everything and my ankles are like purple now these little sobs just like tore me up yeah and a friend of mine always invites me to go fishing he has a boat it's just hard for me to you know get away and would work and stuff is you know i can only get away at night so it's uh it, it becomes challenging, you know. I know. Well, so. Welcome to the welcome to the club. It's like, what do they say? The the best kind of boat. What's the best kind of boat? It's someone else's. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, believe me, I want to get a boat, but yeah, I, I don't have time to use it. You know, you know. I don't think any. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we talked about fish. We talked about frogs. Pretty much everything in the world that's awesome. So, all right, yeah. All right. So listen, Julio. I want to thank you again for coming on the show again. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And um, just so you guys know, American Frog Day is. If you're in the New York area or if you feel like traveling, uh, it is Saturday, October sixteenth, twenty twenty one, from uh, ten a. Excuse me, from ten a.m. to four p.m. And it's at the Westchester Marriott. 670 White Plains Road in Tarrytown, New York. So, uh, I mean, obviously, AmericanFrogDay.com, you guys can find out more about the event. And uh, if you are in the area, I highly recommend checking it out because it, it is a pretty cool event. I've been lucky to be there once, but uh, now that I have a job that I'm actually off on weekends, I can get to go. So, all right. <laughs> Fun stuff. All right. I want to thank everyone for checking this episode out. Again, it's always a pleasure having Julio on the show. And I got some good stuff coming up in the future. So hope you guys enjoyed tonight's episode. Catch up with you again soon.